0: listening to discography discussion episode 116 spine shank hosted by dan terry i'm sorry i didn't get that did you mean this is when it all went to shit and joe wren jeff is headed for a world of pain presented by discussmetal.com and if you want to know what it means to make a head on a stick then you are ready for this episode of discography discussion i am joe that is dan you wanted a sure thing. We're talking about Spine Shank.
1: Yeah, man, you can't really go wrong with Spine Shank, can you? I tried. I could only find one thing.
0: It's probably going to be the cover song, and you're going to take it before I get there.
1: Well, I found a couple of things. We'll get into that. We've had a very interesting week on Discography Discussion. We are balls deep into New Metal May. It's been going pretty well. We did an episode about Drowning Pool, which was. Well disappointing to say the least if you've heard that episode if you haven't pause this one right now go back and listen to it my partner in crime john Beatty from the brutally speaking podcast jumped in to help us out and give us some information about drowning pool on that episode it was a ton of fun but it has been a very interesting week joe I, i i got maybe the longest email i have ever gotten from a listener number one
0: i think it was john Beatty's best performance Because mathematically speaking, I don't think he said that much. And that's my only jab I'm going to take while he's not here. Oh, I love John. I think John is the best. Number two, I think so too. Number three, it was not the longest email you've ever received,
1: but the attachment counts. The attachment definitely counts. So we got an email from a listener named Chris. Chris writes, hey all, I attached my thoughts on the Iced Earth episode. Love the podcast and can't wait to listen to everything you guys put up. Thanks for all the work you put into getting to know these bands and bringing them to everyone. Thank you so much, Chris. And I have to say, the title of the email was, That Iced Earth Guy You Wanted to Meet. See, back in episode 73, we talked about the band Iced Earth. And I had mentioned that I didn't know who this band was for. Like, who's it for? Like, what's the ultimate goal with Iced Earth? And uh, he just wanted to let us know that he is, in fact, that guy. He's the guy that Iced Earth is for. And he sent me a five-page – I'm not even making this up. This is a five-page document typed up in Microsoft Word, double-spaced, beautiful. Size 12 or size 14 font? You know, I don't know because I've got it pulled up in Google's reader, and it doesn't tell me, but it looks to be size 12. It is quite apparent to me that, Chris, dude, you – know so much more about Ice Earth than I do that I'm actually pretty humbled uh, by your analysis everything that you had to say definitely made me go back and listen to our Ice Earth episode and try to remember everything that we said in the context of what the actual document was and uh, once I did that I was, I was up to speed, I was able to listen to it Chris reveals a lot of very interesting things about his past and uh, it was definitely a good read I don't know if I'm ever going to read it on the show verbatim Uh, But I may, at some point in the future, this was really good stuff, and I really appreciate this type of feedback. Chris, thank you so much for listening. Uh, And even if it's just that one episode you check out, we really appreciate that. So one thing that you guys probably know, we are into New Metal May. Every May, we decide to sit down and listen to a bunch of new metal bands and pick out the ones that we think would make an interesting show. Usually it's bands that have more albums than you think. And, you know, something I'm starting to notice, Joe, is that a lot of these new metal bands, there really aren't a lot of career new metal bands out there.
0: Most of the bands that you think of when you think of new metal are no longer a thing. And Spineshank is one of those
1: bands I didn't know in 2012 they were still a thing. Oh, yeah, man. They're still very much making music. And I don't really have a lot of complaints about that. I'm very happy that they are making music still.
0: Spineshank is one of the bands that comes to mind every time I'm listening to the Freddy vs. Jason soundtrack, which we have already gushed about over on Patreon.
1: Yeah, we went track by track, which we usually don't do. That was definitely a lot of fun, and Spineshank stood out. And one of the reasons I thought Spineshank would be really good for New Metal May is they're one of the few bands that actually, for the most part, is a career New Metal band. You know, we we talked last year, you know, about uh, Mudvayne, we talked about Il Nino, and a lot of those bands they you know they kind of moved out of new metal and even Drowning Pool for the episode from last week they moved away from new metal pretty quickly from their inception that seemed to be the case for a lot of bands but in the case of Spine Shank these guys really took it seriously and delivered what the fans wanted pretty much throughout their career
0: Well before Dan continues to gush about this new metal band I want to take this time to say thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast Thank you for listening and for subscribing. If you are not a subscriber, then you can find everything discography discussion at discussmetal.com. We're on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher. So if you have an Amazon Echo or a Google Home, you have no excuse ask it to play the latest episode of the discography discussion podcast and it will we're also on facebook and on twitter at discuss metal be sure to like favorite and subscribe it really helps us out it lets us know you're listening and now dan is going to tell us all about five star reviews guys
1: and gals we love five star reviews here on discography discussion haven't gotten one in a while i'd love to get more give us whatever kind of review you think we deserve it really helps us out There's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that you guys may not be aware of uh, that factor into why podcasts are always begging you for reviews. The reason is simple. It's just that if you have reviews, you get recommended to other listeners. People might be listening to a podcast that's very similar to ours and want to hear more, but they can't because they've, they've already binged that podcast. If you want another podcast that's 100 episodes strong that you can binge, that's our podcast. But the only way that we can get recommended is if you send us a review. Send us a review on whatever podcast app that you listen to. Almost every single one of them gives you the option to leave a review. Leave us a review. We will read it on the show no matter what it says. So thank you guys so much for that. have reviewed the podcast so far. We hope to hear more from you guys in the future. So you guys may have noticed on the discography discussion official group lately that the activity has been relatively on fire. We are back in that group full time, especially for New Metal May. Almost every single day I've got a question for you guys. Who are your favorite new metal bands? Let us know if they're bands we haven't talked about. We're putting them on the master list, whether you want us to or not. Uh, We talk about your least favorite new metal bands. I went on a little bit of a tirade about Five Finger Death Punch and about Mushroom Head in the official group. Uh, I love your guys' suggestions. I love the interactivity on the group. Definitely want to see more memes, more chats, more posting. Um, If you haven't joined the discography discussion official group, You can go to facebook.com slash discography discussion. You'll see the group there on our main page. Just ask to join it and I will approve you unless you're some kind of weird porn bot, in which case I will send them over to Jeff for approval. But all you have to do is ask and I'll accept you into the group. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of dedicated listeners in there and it's really just fun to get an idea of what you guys are looking for. Um, I'm going to try to post daily content in there for you guys to stimulate some conversation. It's been really great so far. There were so many responses to my questions about new Metal uh, just this last week that I don't even have time to read all of it on the show. 1998,
0: Strictly Diesel. So Strictly Diesel. I want to be Razor Ramon. Uh, well, that was for John Beatty. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I remember Razor Ramon. I'm, I'm, I'm cool, right? Scott Hall is the man. He's one of the greatest, at
1: least most popular wrestlers of all time. I tell myself that I'm really cool in the mirror every day, you know. Chank uh, has a pretty interesting history leading up to Strictly Diesel. You know, they, they started a band uh, that was called uh, Basic Enigma, which eventually morphed into becoming Spinechank. This was in the mid '90s, around like '96. Uh, and uh, the, the official story goes that they heard Fear Factory's 1995 album, d which we did an entire episode on Fear Factory back in December that you should check out. They based their musical style on that record, and they consider Fear Factory to be a major influence, which is weird because I don't really hear that. But supposedly that's where they got their original influence, and they actually ended up getting getting signed based on sending a demo tape to Dino, who was in Fear Factory and uh, they ended up doing a bunch of tour, like opening for a bunch of popular bands like Cold Chamber, Snot, Soulfly. And it was great. They eventually signed with Roadrunner Records, which is one of the best labels you could sign with if you're a brand new new metal band in in the late 90s. And their first album came out in 98 called Strictly Diesel. Let's put new metal aside
0: for just a moment, if you don't mind. I hear the Fear Factory influence in the electronics. In how the album is produced dry. The vocals have those 90s effects I could best equate to orgy, but the synthesizers and the programmed drums and percussion sound very dry. They sound like what a DJ with actual physical vinyl sounded like in the 90s. It was dry. It was clean. It was there, kind of based off that European pop thing that was popular for a while, Chumbawamba for Life. So in that aspect, I hear the Fear Factory in
1: Spineshank's sound, just not in their music. I hear it a lot in their vocals. Their lead vocalist, Johnny Santos, borrows a lot from early Burton Seabell of Fear Factory, most notably in his clean vocals. Like, I have to say that his screams sound really good. It's one of my favorite things about the early Spineshank is the screamed vocals are completely on point. The clean vocals on Strictly Diesel, on the other hand, are very monotone, and I think that was an intentional choice by the band, because it sounds like Johnny is trying to emulate Burton C. Bell, because as I complained about on the Fear Factory episode, Burton's vocals are clean, they're monotone, they sound smooth, but for whatever reason, I don't find them really that interesting. And this album, unfortunately, is full of vocals like that. And it's pretty obvious that they're wearing their main influence on their sleeve here. And I don't really think it sounds good. I don't think that Johnny has really found his voice. And so again, his screams sound angry. They sound pissed off, but the singing is very monotone and unfortunately dominates a lot of the runtime on this album.
0: I think if this band was not spine shank you'd be praising him for his underground fake
1: emo vocals. I wouldn't say it's fake emo. I don't think this has anything to do with emo. I think this was just, hey, Burton sings like this. This is the way I want to sing. Because I have issues with the way the vocals sound because a lot of new metal from the late 90s was either very rap influenced, and if it was more alternative rock influenced like this is, or industrial metal influenced like this is, it tended to gravitate more towards the extreme whereas Fine he's going for some kind of like Burton C. Bell sound mixed with a little bit of Chino from Deftones but it's like bad versions of both of those singers. His clean vocals are not strong on this album but he clean sings through most of it and it's frustrating because his screams are so good that I just I want to hear more of them and that's not really what I get. I think the music's fine but the music also has the tendency to just drop into this like mid-tempo beat where he's just kind of like singing over it he, he actually does rap a little bit on this album but it doesn't really sound like rap uh, i think i think we've established on the show that we just call that rhythmic delivery because it's not really good enough to be rap. because it's metal right right exactly we'll talk about we'll talk about rap on our metal show even though we're going to later on this month but uh you know, I think this album is really good. Like, I, I definitely enjoyed it when it was the only Spine Shank album. Does that make sense?
0: I get the same vibe looking back on it that I do when I listen to Slipknot. The first album is kind of its own unique thing. That is great, but it's not the same band that you had even two albums later. Knowing where Spine Shank went, I think I look back on this fondly, kind of the same way I look back on the self-titled Cold Chamber. I know it's not as good, even close
1: to being as good, as to what they would do even a year later. Well, yeah, this was rough, though, in the sense that, like, you look at their influences or the bands they're opening for, like Cold Chamber, which would have been around the same time as that first Cold Chamber album. Uh, bands like Snot, Slow Fly, Sepultura. Those bands were extremely raw, but I don't think that Spine Shank wanted to be a raw band, so they did the best that they could they did that kind of alternative new metal thing where they added a lot of melody in and a lot of clean vocals to try to attract the hard rock fans at the time. But unfortunately, the vocals and the melodic sections are not as strong as they should be to attract that listener base. So what you have is an album that is absolutely new metal in every sense of the word. There's really no other way to describe it, but it could be a lot better. This, this still sounds like a band that you might hear at a local club that's opening up for a much more popular band. It's funny that you bring Slipknot into it because I, I couldn't disagree more. Because Slipknot was still very much fleshed out by the time you heard the self-titled Slipknot album. Like, yeah, it was its own unique thing for sure. But like, Corey's delivery was just as good as it has ever been. Whereas with Spinechank, this sounds like their first album. This sounds like their rough, primordial sound. These are the songs that they jammed forever in the basement before they put them down on tape. However, none of that applies to The Height of Callousness that was released in 2000. Y2K,
0: sorry, it's the year 2000, The Height of Callousness. You might want to update
1: your Windows 98 machine. Hang on, let me do that now, stand by. Four hours later. (laughs) Hey man, it's 2000 and my computer still works. I just got this awesome CD by a band called Spine Chank. It's called The Height of Callousness. Is this their first album? It should be. It's a little bit better version of the previous album. It's a little more intense. A little bit better? I would say this album is like 400% better than Strictly Diesel. Uh, The Height of Callousness, like I don't know if Johnny went to a vocal coach that was like, hey, dude, that Burton C. Bell stuff you're doing is not that great and you're not really utilizing your full voice. He sounds 100% better in the clean vocal department, 200% better in the scream department. And another 100% just for pure awesomeness. That's how I got my 400%. In case you guys want to go back and check my math. The height of Cowsness is actually an industrial new metal album, which I think was what they were trying to do on Strictly Diesel. But like, there's very light electronics on that album, whereas this album doubles down on the electronics. Like they Back then, they were like, hey, we really like Fear Factory. This album, they're like, hey, let's actually try to sound like Fear Factory. They don't. They actually sound better than Fear Factory in this year, if I'm being honest. For most people, this is the first Shank album. It is super aggressive, way more screaming, way more intensity in all of the songs. The pace of the songs is much more breakneck, and I just love all of the incorporation of industrial sounds and bleeps and bloops, as I tend to call them, on the album. It all just sounds really good, and the vocal performance is extremely strong. It is a very strong vocal performance and one that I wouldn't have even thought this vocalist was capable of based on the past release.
0: This is the classic second album. The guitars are a little bit thicker, the drums are a little bit heavier, the vocals are improved, and the backup vocals are still dry and on the left and the right side. The guitarist or the bassist or whoever's doing the backups is still there, but they didn't touch his vocals. His stuff's exactly
1: the same. Absolutely. This record was my favorite Spineshank album for a long time. I couldn't think of anything better. Like Whenever I wanted to really just get stuff done, this is my get stuff done album. I put this thing on, and I could build you a shed in like 28 minutes. Four hours later. Don't actually time me on that. <laughs> I had to listen to the album several times, and I'm, I'm overweight. and I work slowly. Uh, however, this is what I wanted out of Spineshank, and this is where they actually start to develop their own original sound. I don't think there was a whole lot original about Strictly Diesel. It was the best they could do in 1998. You put this band on the road, you give them a little bit of experience, you put them in a different studio with a different team, and they are killing it now. This is the fully realized Spineshank sound. And it could not have come at a better time. This is pre-September 11th, like the height of new metal popularity. Everybody got into Spineshank on the height of callousness. It helped
0: that Nine Inch Nails and Orgy were kind
1: of pushing that
0: pseudo-industrial thing, or in the case of Nine Inch Nails, actual industrial.
1: Well, yeah, this is when it became cool to be industrial and it was not a very long period for that. Were bands
0: still looking for DJs at this point, or was it a general sound composer? Whatever they call that, when the
1: guy in the back just makes the extra noises. Yeah, I don't really know the answer to that, Uh, because they didn't really have, well, I don't know. So Tommy Decker was the drummer on that album, and he was credited in the liner notes as doing electronics and co-producer. So that could mean a lot. But at the same time, uh, their guitarist, Mike, he actually was credited as co-producer, too. So maybe you're looking at like two
0: guys vision. I'm sure if I went back and looked at a live performance, he probably had a drum
1: pad set off to the side and he was cueing the little beats and things. Oh, there's absolutely no way that he didn't. If you wanted them to sound like they did on the album, you'd have to have that setting. But at the same time, I could never really figure out why this album didn't do better than it did. Because I can understand like you could cast off Strictly Diesel as being kind of generic, but this album, this album just seems like a breakthrough hit. Because I could see new metal fans picking it up in droves and not even caring about the industrial because they'd already dealt with that, with bands like Orgy before that. So it really wasn't that big of a, a stretch to throw this into the new metal uh, the new metal elite so to speak but they never really reached that same level of success and I really don't understand why. If anybody knows send me a five-page word document explaining why. I'm going to take a stab at it that this was the year 2000
0: if you were listening to new metal you were listening to Korn, Limp Bizkit, Orgy, Rammstein and then the weird guys over in the corner like Dan, we're listening to Incubus and Lincoln Park of all things. Fungus among us, baby. You will be a hot dancer one day. Yep, you just gotta steal his clothes.
1: Shaft! Dude, we gotta talk about Incubus on the show. I'm cool with it. Is it time for the self-destructive pattern? It is what it is, and I really wish I could stay on Hide of Callousness, but I'm not going to say anything that I didn't say already. So in that spirit, I guess we have to move on to Self-Destructive Pattern. Very aptly named album. Did you like the Hide of Callousness, Joe? I liked it so much, I wanted more of it. Did you ever feel like, you know, I kind of wish this wasn't as crazy as it was. I wish it was kind of dumbed down a little bit and had some like radio play. And some singles. I definitely didn't think that, but I'm not opposed to it. Somebody thought that, because that's how you get self-destructive
0: pattern. I thought we were just listening to Mudvayne and trying to replicate that sound in its
1: entirety. Possible. This isn't really as electronic as we'd had before. It's there a little bit, like there's a little bit of that industrial-style riffing in there, but like the electronics are largely either gone completely or more in the background starts off pretty good with violent mood swings, but even that, you start realizing that the screams are toned down a bit. The singing is kind of in that Chester Bennington rough delivery sort of mode, and that leads into their single, which was called Smothered, which was on every single metal compilation sampler that you could get your hands on in 2003. However, at this time, they were trying to compete with metalcore, which was starting to become a big thing. I remember the first time I heard Smothered was on a compilation with bands like Lamb of God and Arch Enemy and like Devil Driver, which was, you know, basically the upgraded metalcore version of Coal Chamber.
0: Smothered is the second song I never need to hear again in my life. Much like Changes in the House of Flies, play me one second of it and we can move on. I've already heard it. I'm done. I'm not hearing anything else in it.
1: Next, please. It just bothers me to hear a band that came out of the gate so strong on the height of callousness to be playing more of a generic verse-chorus-verse structure on all their songs. Like, I mean, they've got the vocalist for it. I can't say that Johnny sounds bad on this album, but he sounds overproduced. He screams, but his screams, you know, similar to how we complained about uh, last year on the Il Nino album no, the album's not called How Can I Live. How we complained about the El Nino album Confession and how the clean vocals were brought up to the fr- forefront and the screams were more or less muted. They were put in the background. They were still there. And these songs probably came off as bangers live. But on the album, it all just sounds really, really, really clean and really processed. And I think this was Roadrunner trying to break Spinechank. I think they were like me. I think they thought... Why didn't the Heidekalis do better? And then some guy that makes more money than I do was like, hey, it's probably because these songs aren't as singable and there aren't as many radio singles that we can throw out. So that's how you end up with songs that, you know, make more sense in a hard rock mainstream type of direction. So you get two singles off this album, you get smothered and you get beginning of the end. And these are basically what you'd expect. They're they're new metal-influenced hard rock songs that are meant to get radio play. And radio play they get. I can't blame the band. I like money.
0: Beginning of the End is actually one of my favorite songs to listen to that it doesn't age. You know how when you listen to Rage Against the Machine, it doesn't sound dated, even though it very much is Beginning of the End is one of those songs that it doesn't age. Every time I listen to it, I don't care what year it is. I don't care what year it came out. The only thing I hear is the riffing guitars, that very well-written and executed verse, which, like I said earlier,
1: is just Mudvayne and those programmed... You need to make that distinction. LD50, this is not. This is like Mudvayne self-titled type stuff. Did I
0: mention the programmed drums? I'm confident that these drums are not triggered. They are just straight
1: programmed. That's fine. I listen to Rammstein sometimes. Oh, boy. Well, I disagree with you on the fact that the song doesn't age. This sounds like it should have come out in 2000. This would have been a much bigger album in 2000. And I'll even give it as far as 2002. But in 03, new metal fans were tired of this type of stuff being pushed down their throats. I would say this is the year, 2003, 2004, the New Metal fans went underground. And the fight with Metalcore began. And was lost rather quickly. If you've ever read uh, L. Ron Hubbard's Battlefield Earth, and I know he's a Scientologist, I'm not going to get into all that, but you know how mankind was invaded by the, uh, what are they called? They weren't called Cylons, that was Battlestar Galactica. They were called Cyclos, that's right. Huge difference, right? Uh, The Cyclos invade, they destroy mankind in about 12 seconds. That's what Metalcore did to new Metal during that era because new Metal didn't have its teeth out in 2001, 2002, and 2003. They were still trying to hold on to that radio play. They didn't, have, they didn't really have their teeth out. There's only one band I can think of that still had their teeth out that year, and that was Korn, and they released Take a Look in the Mirror to try, to try to counteract that. Didn't make much of a difference, though. Stuff like Self-Destructive Pattern by Spine Shank was kind of the norm for new Metal and it just wasn't working, and that's why this record really doesn't work for me. It's not that it's bad. Like, listening to it back in 2019 for this podcast, I was like, this is a this is a fairly decent record, but it's nowhere near as compelling as the height of Callousness, but I will take it any day over Strictly Diesel, if that makes sense. I got nothing else to say about that record, and really, that was more or less the destruction of the band. They had a lot of lineup changes. They had a new vocalist for a while. They never really went anywhere. It was one of those, like, between 2003 and 2012 you know they're oh yeah we have a new album coming it's coming it's coming but it's almost like they had to wait out the storm of what new metal was. they had to wait out the new metal storm and a band that sounded like them really couldn't compete with what metal fans wanted for the next 10 years
0: so where did anger denial acceptance come from in 2012.
1: I think in 2012 it was really, hey guys, we got the band back together sort of situation. Um, Johnny Santos rejoined the band, he had been gone for a while. They had more or less not really been a band, I know, I know shortly after they had released Self Destructive Pattern that they had been trying to get a lineup together and they had been trying to get you know, everything back on track and release an album but they just never really it never really stuck. And I and I understand that. It, like this happens a lot in local bands where like you did something really cool and then it takes you forever to follow up on that coolness. And it did take them forever. They they ended up having to get Johnny back. They went back to basics and they released an album that I think is really one of their finest works. This is where
0: I hear the Fear Factory influence. Yes, they're playing grungy new metal riffs that are very dry distorted industrial 9-inch nail sounding dubstep this is not thank god metalcore this is not it's not hardcore it's not dissonant it's just a 2012 dirge of new metal this might be the oldest new metal i've heard in the 2010s i can't think of another band off the top of my head that put out a new Metal album in 2012, because I don't think My
1: Ticket Home was really new Metal. We're gonna have to disagree on that. I think this album sounds like Spine did in 2000, but it has a lot of modern influences. I think the production quality alone makes it stand out. The drums really don't sound real on this. I don't know about whether that's true or not, but I guess we'd have to ask a band member. They're definitely back with a vengeance, and this is one of the angriest records that I've heard from Spine Shank since The Height of Callousness. This is not muted at all like Self-Destructive Pattern was. This is like their true follow-up, like this is the record that they wanted to make. But instead of it sounding like Strictly Diesel, where you know they were still trying to find their footing, they've got all those years of being accomplished musicians, which makes their songwriting astronomically better than what it was back in the early 2000s. Johnny's clean vocals sound better than they ever have on this album, and his screams are equally angry. And some of, the, some of the lyrics are fairly disturbing. Uh, like on the song Murder, Suicide, um, he's very, uh, I mean, they wrote a song called Murder, Suicide. Like, oh, my God. Uh, not something I would have expected from a band like Spine Shank. And I was pleas- pleasantly surprised to be a little bit offended by some lyrics. I'll give him that. But I think this is the best Spine Shank album we've had in over a decade and that's like not even an exaggeration that's like just a, a statement of fact.
0: It's the only Spine Shank album you've had in over a decade.
1: If this is the if this is what Spine Shank's going to sound like from here on out. Now granted this was 2012 so like, you know, come on guys, let's let's get on it. It's 2019. We're waiting. I mean, can only wait so long. I'm going to have to go back and listen to my ticket home I guess to fill in the gap. That's a good gap um, to fill. Th- this was a really great album and I think it it was really strong. We talk a lot on this show about bands that are a sure thing. I don't really think you can go wrong with Spine Chank. I think their first album's a little rough, but still more or less enjoyable, except for that god awful cover song that they put on it. Um, you know, and th- thankfully, they, they never really went down that road again. Did we mention that? Their, their cover of While My Guitar Gently Weeps Off of Strictly Diesel is an absolute skip. Like, I would recommend taking the CD, ripping it to your computer, and then reburning it without that song on it. Trust me, it's a good idea. I do think that Anger, Denial, Acceptance is a little bit more loose album musically than what they had before. And I don't know if that's just them not like gelling together like they used to. But it still sounds tight in the sense that they 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 had a vision, they they executed that vision. But there are a few other elements that creep their way into this. There's like, you know, full-on punk sections. A little bit of thrash, you know, but they never really go any heavier than they did on their previous releases, which I think is actually a good thing. I think that if you have been a closet Spine Shank fan all these years, I think that you're not gonna be disappointed in this album. I certainly wasn't, and it, especially listening to all the albums in sequential order, um, I didn't really have to wait for Spine Shank to get awesome again. It was just kind of there for me whenever we revisited this. But I have to mention the song The Reckoning, which is probably the heaviest song they ever recorded, and uh, I love it, and you should check it out. It's definitely going to be on the playlist that I do for the notes on this album. Final thoughts on Spineshank. Dan? Well, I think I kind of said it. You know, if you've been a closet Spineshank fan all this time, you've been in on something that other people may not have been. They may have heard Spineshank songs. I think the height of their popularity was, you know, their their album uh, The Height of Callousness, no pun intended, but that really was their their biggest breakthrough. So if you're if you're looking for that band again, you're gonna find them on Anger Denial Acceptance. And hopefully they continue. Hopefully they, they put out another banger like this one. And we can continue to call them a sure thing band. As far as new metal goes, if you're a diehard new metal fan, you really can't go wrong with Spine Chank.
0: Spine Chank is a sure thing. Very band that every metal fan should have on their shelf. I think they do new metal as well as it can be expected to be done. It also doesn't hurt to have a little bit of industrial in there because metal fans, we like a little industrial in our metal. Dan, what's your album of the week? My
1: album of the week is actually going back a little bit uh, because I've been listening to new metal pretty much all week, but I don't want to just listen to the bands we're covering. Uh, So I have been listening to the original Disturbed album, the one that I like the most, which is The Sickness. I've been listening to Stained because we might be doing an
0: episode on them this month. So my album of the week is Dysfunction, an album that many people consider to be their best. What, Not Tormented? That album is definitely
1: not their best. We'll talk about that later. If you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, you might wonder, why haven't they talked about X-Band? I want them to talk about this band, this band that I love. This band that I am the person that this band is for. How do I get a hold of these guys? Well, you can get a hold of us several ways. You can reach out to us on Facebook under Discography Discussion. If you just search on Facebook, we will pop right up. Uh, you can join the Discography Discussion official Facebook group, and you can send your requests there. You can always go old school and send us an email at danandjoshow@gmail.com gmail.com to drop your band request in or just to stop in and say hello. We love it whenever you guys say hello. Tell us that you've been listening, and uh, just tell us what you want out of the show. And uh, another really cool thing that we've had lately is we have our own Discord server There's going to be a link to that in the show notes. You just click on that link and you will get access to our Discord server where you can pretty much chat with us in real time. Uh, I've got that thing installed on my phone. And so if you send a message on Discord, I'm going to see it right away and hopefully be able to respond to it right away. So uh, if you can't get a hold of us, you know, uh, it's basically your fault at this point. So we are all over the place. You can also find us on Twitter, if Twitter's your thing, at Discuss Metal. Or you can find me on Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. Or you can even find Joe at Discuss Metal Joe. So we are all over the interwebs, anywhere you want to find us. So drop us some band recommendations. Uh, Stop by and say hello. Uh, We love hearing from you guys. And we appreciate everybody that does reach out. And on
0: that note, this has been episode 116 of Discography Discussion. Thank you for listening. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at DiscussMetal. Metal. Subscribe to our podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts, including Google Play, iTunes, and Stitcher. Visit DiscussMetal.com for all things Discography Discussion. And please send questions and comments to Show at gmail.com. If you are not a patron, you can become one at patreon.com forward slash discuss metal. We have some sweet
1: perks. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Thanks, Jeff.